0: Tonight I continue my series on what does righteousness look like. Uh, Tonight we are going to be focusing on time well spent. That how we use our time actually does speak to our level of righteousness and also our progress in righteousness. I have here righteousness is about the best use of our resources Certainly there needs to be a great concern about the use of our material resources. I think we all understand about that. But there also needs to be great concern about the use of our immaterial resources. I've been focusing on Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49. You may have gotten a little lost as we have uh, jibbed and jabbed our way through uh, this verse and been talking about Sodom, etc. cetera. But um, it's interesting is what the Bible Points to as foundational or what I've been calling root sins as the initial issues with Sodom that then resulted in some of the flagrant things that we think about uh, the attack upon uh, the angels uh, at that man's home, all those incidences. But there are roots that are very Simple and we might think somewhat benign, that they wouldn't be all that problematic, but they rear their ugly head. And so tonight we look at a rather simple idea, but it isn't simplistic. It's actually profound if you think about it, but that's the whole point. Uh, You've got to really stop and think about it. In Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49, it says, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. This was at the root of Sodom's iniquity. Pride, fullness of bread, and now we've gotten to this aspect of abundance of idleness. Abundance of idleness. NAS translates it careless ease, and the ESV translates it as prosperous ease, for it is an idleness that comes as a result of prosperity. Because Sodom was rich, they didn't have to spend as much time on work. They didn't have to spend as much time in providing their basic needs. Because they were well-to-do, because they were prospering, they had an abundance, if you will, of free time. And the issue was how they used that free time. So the last time we were together, I talked about the difference between work and busyness. And how there's a tremendous amount of busyness in our society. People don't have time for almost anything because they are so busy. But the question is busy doing what? And so tonight we look at this aspect of time. Time theme. Tonight we continue with emphasis as we consider the wise use of time. Our text is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 15 through 18. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, but for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So as we work our way through this text, the first thing we learn is that we need to examine closely how we use our time. Look carefully then how you walk. There are two aspects to this admonition to look carefully how you walk. The first is, look carefully where you place your feet. Now, I grew up on a farm. And uh, one of my chores as a boy would be to gather the uh, cows together uh, and bring them in so that they could be milked at night. And you'd always have a few stubborn cows that didn't want to come, and you'd have to go get them. You could stand at the fence and yell, Kobasi, Kobasi, and the vast majority would come. But there would always be a few that you'd have to go get. And uh, one of the things you learn quickly when you live on a farm is you walk through a pasture, you better look where you're stepping. Because if not, you're going to step in a nice big, you can get the picture. All right, so uh, you want to look where you step. That's the idea here. you got to think about what you're doing, okay? Because if you don't think about it, you're going to step into some places that uh, uh, after a while are going to get pretty stinky. So think about what you're doing. And it also has the idea of of tracking your time. Tracking your time. uh, How many people have a Fitbit? Do you have a Fitbit? Oh, come on. Okay, Okay. one person has a Fitbit. I'm, I'm surprised at that. Okay, uh, those are devices where you wear and they, uh, they measure your, your calories spent in a day, how many steps you've taken, all that uh, kind of stuff. It's the, it's the rage at the moment. Uh, Fitbits, all right, and they measure your steps. Well, I'm saying that uh, we need to measure our time. We need to think about how our time is being Spent. Okay? It would be an interesting exercise just to keep track of your time in 15 minute increments for a week and just see how your time is spent. Number two, we must be discerning in the way that we use our time, not as unwise, but as wise. Okay? So think about time as a resource even as we would think about money as a resource. And one of the first things they would want to do if you were going to budget your money, if you are going to make a better use of your money, is first of all you would track where you're spending your money, so you can see where it's going. And after you've tracked and seen where your money is spent, how much money is spent on groceries, how much money is spent on mortgage or rent, and you, you track it all out there and you know after a period of time how your, your money is spent, then you look at that and you say, hmm. Is that really where I want to spend my money? Is, you might be surprised on how much you spend on junk food or how much you spend on eating out or how much you spend on this or that. And you, and you say, well, I, I wonder if I really want to spend my money that way. Well, the same idea is with time. If you keep track of your time, and after a while you look at that and you say, well, wow, I, really, I, I really wonder if I want to spend my time that way. I, I really wonder if I want to use that limited commodity in the way that I am using it, all right? So we want to make the best use of our time. So how do we do that? Number three, we need to be wise if we're going to make the best use of our time. Making the best use of it, NIV says making the most of every opportunity. Ephesians 5.16 says redeeming the time, okay? So now the question is, What is the outcome of the spending of my time? How beneficial is it? A, we should be productive instead of wasting time. All right? We don't want to waste time. We want to be productive. And we should be making the most of our time instead of killing time. Those are two kinds of time that obviously we don't want to engage in. We don't want to waste time, and we don't want to kill time. We want to make the best use of our time. Uh, and now... I'm bridging to the next idea that the days are evil. Okay? If we look at our society and time, we can learn some important things. Okay? How times have changed, for example. Okay? Now, <clears throat> I'm beginning to feel more and more like an old fuddy-duddy okay, the, the good old days, you know, uh, but it really is amazing in some of the changes that have taken place in my lifetime. I'm not talking about the invention of the automobile, I'm not talking about airplanes, but, but one of the amazing things really is about the use of time. That, that's a huge, huge change that has taken place, um, what I'm thinking about, for example, is sports. And uh, sports and time. I, I, I know that, uh, you have to take this by faith, because you would never know it by looking at me, but there was a day that I was an athlete. And I played sports year-round. Okay? Uh, I started playing baseball uh, in a Babe Ruth league that was 12 years and up. That's when I started playing baseball. I started playing basketball when I was a junior in high school. There was no such thing as a basketball league earlier than junior high. I wasn't spiritual because I didn't play. It didn't exist. Okay? There, there was none. There was no organized basketball school programs, community programs. There was little league Okay. But there wasn't anything before Little League. There wasn't Pee Wee or whatever it is below Little League. Little League was the youngest. And there was no football that was equivalent in my era. Okay, Then it started getting younger and younger and younger and younger and, and more prolific. So that people weren't just playing on one little team. They were playing on two and playing on three. That's different for our period of time. And it's a, it's a real, real challenge. So that when Ruth, who isn't particularly young, not particularly old, but when she went out for basketball, when she was in seventh grade, they said to her, oh, you're starting so late. You should have started earlier. My point tonight isn't to pick on sports, but my point is we are understanding if you want to be excellent at something, the younger you start, the better off. Okay. I would plead with you as parents to be extremely concerned about the spiritual development of your young children. Start them off young in memorizing verses. Read Bible stories to them when they are infants. Introduce them to the Word of God. Develop them. Grow them so that they know the Word. Charles Spurgeon came to know the Lord when he was 16 years of age. He started preaching when he was 18 years of age. And he was a rather phenomenal preacher, as we all know. And certainly he was gifted. There is absolutely no question about that. But one of the things that he was asked is, how could he preach so well at 18, only having been converted when he was 16? And Charles Spurgeon's response was, that he felt sorry for anyone who wanted to enter the ministry and then begin to learn the Bible. He had been taught the scriptures from infancy. He had memorized large portions of scripture even before he was converted. His parents were very concerned with his spiritual development. And even though he didn't come to know the Lord, he knew the Bible verses. And when he came to know the Lord, all of that training, all of that experience, he was ready to use. Okay. What has happened with sports? The exact, exact opposite has, has developed in the spiritual realm. Okay. Where... To really excel in sports, you have to start younger and younger because the competition is so great. Unfortunately, to excel in Bible knowledge and understanding, you can start pretty late in life by today's standards because such little is known. When uh, for uh, five years... I was chairman of the curriculum committee of Biblical Seminary. I chaired the committee that overlooked what the curriculum was going to be for its entire program, the MA, the MDiv, and the DMIN. And we looked at our curriculum. And every year, there was a lament that the students were coming in with less and less Bible knowledge and background, and the question is, how are we going to overcome that? What were we going to do? We wrestled with are we going to have proper duty uh, classes? Proper duty classes are classes in which people are required to take in which you get no credit. Okay, and we are saying we were seeing that people who were coming in with such a, a lack of Bible, basic Bible knowledge, that we didn't want to give them credit to bring them up to speed, we didn't want to waste. Their education on teaching them just basic Bible truths. Because they were coming from churches, they were coming from backgrounds in which they were ignorant of the scriptures. We were teaching them Greek, we were teaching them Hebrew. They need to know those things, but they also need to know the Bible. And they didn't know it. We need to be concerned about how we are spending our time making the most of Every opportunity. Four, we must be discerning in how we use our time because we are surrounded by temptations that will corrupt us. Second, Ephesians 5.16 says, Because the days are evil. And so wherein does that evil exist? 2 Timothy 3, one. But understand this, In the last days there will come times of difficulty. Why? Why? For people will be lovers of self. You're probably going to get tired of hearing me say this, but I'm on a routine now that till the day I die, I am going to emphasize that the basic teaching of Scripture is about loving God and loving others. And I'm seeing that more and more just fly off the pages of Scripture and see its relevance. For people will be lovers of self. Okay? I think that that is a very pervasive influence of our society today. It's more destructive than we realize that people are self-centered. B, there's a tendency to be self-centered with respect to time, respect to everything. We can see this by a focus upon self as opposed to a focus upon others. Self centered conversations. Selfies. Okay? Just people taking pictures of themselves and posting them. That's a phenomenon of our day and age. Okay? <clears throat> It was kind of unthinkable. You know, when, the, when the, the first digital cameras came out and stuff, there wasn't a camera facing this way. Nobody ever did that. Nobody took pictures this way. Pictures were that way. Okay? It was out there. You took pictures of that, you didn't take pictures of this. And then they realized they needed to put a backward camera on there so that people could take pictures of themselves. And it is just one little example of the self-centered nature of our society. Think about such things as Facebook. Think about postings where people just list everything they're doing all day long. Who cares? You're standing at the post office in line. The world needs to know that. The world needs to know that I just had... See, you're, you're just waiting to hear, aren't you? You, you, you want to know what I had for breakfast. Okay. Okay, I won't make you wake any longer. I had eggs this morning. For breakfast, okay. So we post. We had eggs for breakfast, okay. It's about us. It's about us. It's about us. More and more, it's about us, and that's spiritually damaging. As life focuses on us, on what we like, what we don't like, about when somebody posts. Something, then we have to respond. Do I like it or don't I like it? Okay, am I interested in it? Am I not interested in it? But you see, that creates a bigger issue. There's an ever increasing desire to draw attention to ourselves. Okay, there are a lot of people, believe it or not that get their sense of self-worth, their sense of importance, their sense of meaning by how many friends they have. Or how many likes they get from having posted that they have eggs for breakfast. Or that selfie. Okay? And if they get a whole bunch of likes, it's been a great day. If they don't get a whole bunch of likes, it's been a terrible day. But a desire to be noticed a uh, vying for attention this ever increasing importance of standing out of as i say being being noticed and that's creating an ever increasing desire for bizarre behaviors it's tough to stick out today Because everybody sticks out. Everybody is looking different. Everybody is vying for that particular situation. There is a decreasing ability to shock, to stand out, to look different. But people want to draw attention to themselves, people want to be noticed. I saw a couple, uh, two girls, six, I would say they're about 16 years old. I don't know. They were young. I was at the mall uh, at uh, Lancaster, and these two girls came walking hand in hand, with a huge smile on their face as they walked. you know? And, and most people don't make eye contact with me I, I, when, I'm, when I'm walking. I just, you know, most people just kind of, okay. But, but both of these girls, for whatever reason, I mean, I mean, they just looked me right in the eye. And it was almost like saying, look at us. What do you think? I just smiled and walked on. But the shock value, okay, I don't even know if they were a couple. I don't know if they uh, were really into each other or they just wanted to see what this old guy would think as they held hands and were walking by. But, you know, the fact that it's harder to shock is causing young people to do more and more bizarre things. You may not remember, but I said many weeks ago now, that I didn't think homosexuality was on the increase. Excuse me. Let me back up there, okay. Homosexuality, in its practice, I think, is on the increase. And I said anecdotally that I think that demonstrates not that it's purely a... A hormonal aspect, but, but it's part of this desire to shock. It's a part of the desire of boredom. People have become so involved sexually that they've gotten bored. It's tough to experiment anymore. They've tried everything. And now that they've tried and experienced everything with their own, with the opposite sex, now they're trying and experimenting with their own sex. It's also hard to shock people anymore with behaviors that are being done with the opposite sex. Now, if you really want to shock somebody, you've got to do it with uh, other sex. And that's becoming less shocking. And what I said, and two people came up to me, and they, they were kind of amazed, but they said, you know, we just kind of encountered what you were talking about, bestiology. Sex with animals is now becoming a bigger thing. Where does that come from? You say, wow, you moved from right use of time to having sex with animals? There's a lot of dots in between, but believe it or not, there's a connection. The scripture starts with Sodom by idleness. Okay, What you think about, what you give yourself to, what you are involved in. Uh, let's go to six. In order to use our time correctly, we must not be ruled by our emotions or lust, but be ruled by right decisions. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Debauchery is incorrigibility, excessive indulgence and sensual pleasures okay, that, again, characterizes our time. An excessive indulgence in sensual pleasures. Wanting to heighten touch, taste, and feel, okay? So pills are taken to heighten sensitivity, okay? Uh, one of the theories about HIV and what has caused HIV is a breakdown of the immune Uh, uh, a breakdown of the immune system as a result of drugs that were taken to heighten uh, the feeling of orgasm, to heighten that sexual pleasure. And it so abused the body that it resulted in HIV. I don't know if that's true or not, but that is one of the major theories about what has caused... Uh, the development of of HIV. But this whole aspect of sensuality, of of just trying to satisfy our feelings. Scandalous activities involving, involving drugs, alcohol, and sex. And then, an archaic usage of this word, anything that seduces one from the fulfillment of duty. So debauchery is anything that Seduces one from the ful- fulfillment of duty. Anything that would take you away from fulfilling your responsibilities. And certainly drugs, alcohol, sex, and all that does. Now here's an NBC News article. I don't know if you saw this. This is only a week old. After binge-watching a popular show about zombies... A New Mexico man believed his friend was turning into one, so he brutally beat him to death last week, police said. Prior to the alleged crime last Thursday, Damon Perry, 23, watched the Netflix show The Walking Dead and drank multiple 40-ounce bottles of malt liquor with a friend at a relative's apartment, Grant's police spokesman, Moses Marquez, told NBC News. Then Perry told police the victim, Christopher a Pacquan 23 tried to bite him, according to the statement from cops. Perry reacted by brutally beating Pacquan with his hands, feet, the release said, and also used an electric guitar, kitchen knives, and a microwave to kill the victim. Perry left the apartment and began chasing neighbors, Marquez said, and following one woman with a knife, Perry forced her to lock herself inside her apartment. Okay, from two things binge watching. The Walking Dead, I've never seen the show, but it's about zombies, I guess, and uh, it has a lot of murder and and stuff in it, just sitting and watching that, show after show after show, and drinking malt liquor, and the one guy decides to bite the other guy, and that guy thinks that he's turning into a zombie, and he's got to kill him. You say, wow, but, that, but that's a pretty out there example. Yeah, it is. It's a pretty out there example. But what it demonstrates is that it matters about what we think about and what we are giving ourselves to. People are responding more and more to their emotions and less and less to their intellect. Not making wise decisions, making emotional decisions, making impulsive decisions, making decisions about what feels good, what's going to satisfy them, what's going to bring them pleasure. Not about the long term. And it doesn't have to be about drugs and alcohol. It can be a little thing, like for a diabetic to think about, am I going to eat that piece of candy now? and then four hours have to struggle with my sugar level and the ultimate outcomes of that, or do I just not eat that piece of candy now? Simple little decisions make huge impacts on our life. We really do need to think about what we think about. We really do need to think about our priorities. We really do need to think beyond today and tomorrow and even the next day or even the next year. The psalmist says, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Teach us to number our days, to to think about the fact that the Lord has given us three score years and ten. Seventy years. Where do you want to be five years from now? Where do you want to be ten years from now? Where do you want to be 20 years from now? Okay, Are the things that we are having our 10-year-olds do, is that going to matter when they're 30? All the time, all the money, all the effort that's going into making our 10-year-olds happy and pleased, is that going to make them a better person when they're 40? Is that going to cause them to have a strong family? Is that going to cause them to be a greater lover of others? Is that going to cause them to be centered upon others or centered upon themselves? You know, I'm not going to sit here and tell everybody what you need to do and not need to do. That's something we all have to wrestle with. But the point is we need to wrestle with it. We need to ask ourselves those questions. So back to number five. That I skipped over. We must understand the way in which God would have us use our time. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The psalmist said in Psalm 19:14, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The scripture says a lot about meditation. Meditation is reflection. Meditation is just stopping and thinking and ruminating on God's truth. Okay. Um, again, growing up on a farm. We had cows. And... Uh, if you ever have seen a cow, okay, <clears throat> they're usually going like this. They do that all day long. It's called chewing their cud. A little anatomy lesson a cow has four stomachs. And in order to digest their food and to develop all the nutrients from it. They actually swallow the the hay, the grain, whatever it is, and uh, the body does its work on the enzymes and stuff, and then they vomit it up, if you will, into their mouth, and they chew on it, and they swallow it again, and then they vomit up and chew it on it again, swallow it again. It's a digestive process. That is the image the, the scripture uses for meditation. It's chewing on the Word of God all day long, digesting it, thinking about it, reflecting on it, meditating on it. Now, I, I know your life and my life are different, and I, and I have opportunities that you don't have. But one thing I can tell you is to get a lot of what I get from the scriptures. I just have to sit and think about it. I, I, look at, I look at a verse and I think about each word in the verse. I try to think about where those words are found elsewhere in the scripture. I try to think about our society. I, I just sit and think about what is the relevance of this? How can I apply this? And it's amazing after six, seven, eight hours how much more I get from it than the first hour that I thought about it. There's a tendency eventually for the light to go on and I, I see so much more. All I'm saying to you is there is such great value in meditating, thinking upon the scriptures. And one of the aspects of the days being evil, and I'm not against technology, believe me, it's a, it's a huge advantage. Uh, I, I love computers. I'm thankful for Bible programs. It's made the study of the scripture much easier, much more in-depth. There is so much good, okay, but but, but it also can be an incredible time waster of just playing games, just looking at videos, just putting your mind in neutral, and just wasting and killing time. And I just really encourage you to think about how much time you're spending, and are there better, more productive ways in which we can spend our time that would prove to be incredibly valuable, uplifting, morally strengthening, uh, cause us to be more discerning, uh, to think more carefully about our decisions so that we are less emotional, less impulsive, uh, that uh, we prepare ourselves, think ahead of how we're gonna respond, you know, to what people say, to the temptation I'm gonna face, What what am I going to say to this person? What am I going to do when I'm faced with this particular problem? How am I going to handle it? Praying and asking God. The thing that we didn't look at here is the last one. Seven, in order to use our time correctly, ultimately we must be ruled by the Holy Spirit. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The... Analogy here is that wine causes us to do things that we wouldn't do, okay? People that are drunk do things that they wouldn't do if they weren't drunk. We talk about happy drunks. Those are the people that put the light shade on their head and act silly. And there are miserable drunks. Those are the people that get in fights and bars. And they lose their inhibitions. They lose their restraints. That's why so much sexual activity occurs when people are drunk. That's why people give, people date drugs. That's this whole thing with Bill Cosby, okay, with with drugging girls so they'll do things they wouldn't do normally, okay? This aspect, the Holy Spirit is in antithesis to that. The idea is by the Holy Spirit we will do things we wouldn't normally do, but they're good things. Alcohol leads us to do bad things. Holy Spirit leads us to do good things. So rather than give ourselves to alcohol, we want to give ourselves to the Holy Spirit. We want to cultivate the Holy Spirit's activity in our lives. We do that through prayer. We do that through meditation. We do that through the reading of the Word. We do that by asking God to give us wisdom. We do that by asking God to give us discipline. We do that by seeking God to take control of our lives. It's about considering God and all that we are doing. It's a mind thing. It's a mind thing. Let's pray. Our Father, help us in our use of time. Uh, keep us from sin and evil. Help us to realize that the simplest things eventually can get out of control in ways that are just imaginable, unimaginable to us. Uh, help us to realize pornography, all these other things, lead to... Sins that we're going to regret. Lifestyles that we don't want. Uh, Lord, help us to take seriously uh, our thought life. The use of our time. Especially, Lord, may we not just focus on ourselves, but may we spend time focusing on others, thinking about their lives, thinking about their needs, thinking about their heartaches, praying for them, encouraging them, helping them. And Lord, in so doing, Preserve us in our own lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And you are dismissed.